0: Hi, I'm Aubrey Charette. Thanks so much for joining us today on the podcast for Harrisonburg Nazarene Church. Please subscribe for updates and new episodes to this podcast. Also, you can now search for our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. Join us each Sunday at 9 and 10.30 a.m. on Facebook Live. Be sure to like or follow our page while you're there. Uh, We're going to turn now to the message portion of uh, our service Thanks for being here and leaning in. I uh, missed being here with you last week, but so grateful for uh, Brian Charette bringing the word as we close out our Jesus and series today. Uh, really, this is a series that talks about what we just sang about. What does it mean to exalt him in every area of our life? What does that mean? What does it mean that I don't just give him part of me? What does that mean that I don't just give him my Sunday morning or my Thursday night, or my, but every part of me? And so, week after a week, we've been talking about what are those areas that if we're not careful, we can hold on to a little too tightly and not let him lead our lives, not exalt him in that area of our life. And so to begin this morning, I have a a prop over here off to the stage. Somebody saw me carrying this in this morning and said, oh boy, this is going to be interesting. So I I brought this as exhibit A today, but this is uh, our family. It's not really our family, our kids. I don't really use it that much. Uh, Our dress-up bin, that's what we call it, that's not a fancy word, but uh, years ago, uh, we've got four kids now, and our oldest is 12, but years ago, at a young age, we just started filling a bin with stuff that they could put on and dress up with, and every time we think we're almost done, uh, one of them comes parading out in some crazy costume or something from this, and so, I mean, if you were to go through our dress-up bin, you'll see all kinds of good stuff in here, You know, you could be a firefighter or construction worker or Cinderella. It's really interesting when the boys get into that one, you know, and uh, all kinds of stuff here. But one of the interesting things that I brought today that's here is masks. Now, some of these are just left over from Halloween or whatever, but over the years. But man, these things, they've had a lot of fun with these over the years, these different masks and things that they put on. I, I thought this one's kind of fun and kind of creepy, right? If I preached in that, no one would understand a thing I'm saying. Uh, but I brought a picture, uh, our youngest kind of got into the act one day and just came up around the corner. I had no idea she had gotten into the dress-up bin, and I came around the corner I was like, Oh! You know, but there, she's Spider-Man, you know, so that's glory. And um, so we have a lot of fun. We have a lot of fun with this. Uh, but today, I've entitled uh, the conclusion of our series, Jesus in My Mask. My Mask, because here's the deal, while this is fun and innocent and cool, the reality is, for most of us today... That we kind of still, as we get older, are in the business of wearing masks, of playing pretend, of hiding. And, and while it's fun and innocent early on, man, the older we get, it becomes a little more tragic, really. That some of us are walking around as grown-up people, pretending, hiding, <laughs> putting on a mask to not let other people see who we really are We're going to be today in the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 12, if you have your copy of Scripture. Um, But if you would go there and just hold it for a minute, it's going to take us a minute to get there. But I want us to see what God's Word says about this idea of exalting Him in every area of our life, and and especially when we are tempted to play pretend, put on our mask, to act like we're something that we're not. Uh, Before we get there, I want you to understand that in the very beginning, That God created. And when He created, His creation was good. And He put the man Adam and the woman Eve in the garden. And He gave them rule over everything. He gave them everything that they would need for life. And it was good. That's what we know in the book of Genesis at the very beginning. And there's only one guideline. There's only one thing that God the Father said you cannot do. There's one tree. You can have everything else, but there's one tree you cannot eat from. And in this way, He's providing some guardrails, some boundaries in their love relationship. And we see in Genesis chapter 3, it's going to be on the screen behind me, but we see the example of the first sin. I'm reading all this and saying all this to get us to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, but I want you to see the account. You might be familiar with it already. In verse 6, it says this, When the woman, that's Eve, saw the fruit of the tree that was good for food and pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom, she took it and ate it. She gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of them were both opened, and they realized that they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together, and they made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees. But the Lord called to them. He called to the man, "'Where are you?' he answered. "'I heard you in the garden.'" And I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Sin, the original sin, and that's historically, biblically, this is the first account of sin entering the world. And this has incredible implications throughout Scripture that we won't get into all that today. But what you need to know is the first account of sin is really a break in relationship. God setting some boundaries and some boundary lines that were crossed. That well, I see the boundary line there, but I'm crossing it anyway. In the moment, what I want you to see, the reason I show you Genesis chapter 3 is the moment that sin enters into the world, so does shame. I mean, look at it. They've been naked the whole time. That's how they were created. But instantly, the moment that sin enters into the world, they don't run to God, they run away from him. And instantly, the moment that sin comes into the world, they feel like they've got to hide, they've got to cover themselves. They've got to, why? Because suddenly they're, they're afraid. And that's shame. Shame is a powerful, a powerful thing that we don't often talk about in the life of the church. There's a difference between guilt and shame. Guilt is I did something bad, something I need to repent of, something I need to apologize, something I feel convicted about. Man, guilt, that's a a good thing. It can be a good thing in our lives that God leads us back to repentance through our guilt. But the difference between guilt and shame, guilt says I did something bad, but shame says I am bad. And while that's true, that because of sin, we have a sinful nature, shame believes that no one could love me. I'm not lovable. And so what does shame force us to do? It forces us to hide. It forces us to play pretend, to only show the things that we want other people to see. That's shame. Shame what about you? Have you been there? Have, have you been there in the most broken moment of your life? The moment where maybe it was something that you did, a, a mistake you made, somewhere where you crossed the boundary line, and in that moment you felt such shame that you felt, man, who could ever love me? God, anyone who could ever love, man, if people saw who I really was, there is no way they would love me. And in that moment of shame, you resort back to hiding, to only showing people the part of you that you want them to see. Maybe it's not something that you did, but something that someone did to you, and it made you cower back in fear and believe the lie that you were unworthy and unlovable and that you should feel shame for what was done to you. And in that moment, what do we do? We, we put on the mask. We play pretend. We would show up even on a Sunday morning like this and appear one way. Show people one side of us, but deep inside, we feel so much shame that no one could really love me if they knew who I was. I'm going to move this over to the side. I have another illustration this morning. I think it's powerful. I think it will help us. And it's this example here where the other thing that we do often, right, when we feel brokenness and when we feel hurt because of the things that we've done and our mistakes uh, or because of the ways people have hurt us, what we do is we create a boundary. And and what we do, we build a wall, we build a barrier, and and we put this out. And what we do is is we hide. And and there's really two reasons that we do this. The two reasons that we, whether we realize it or not, would build a, a wall, build a boundary, build a barrier to keep other people away. The first is that we believe in and of ourselves that we aren't lovable, that we aren't worthy, that no one, if they really knew who I was, if they really saw who I was, man, there is no way that they could love me for who I am. And so without realizing it, maybe intentionally, maybe not, we build a wall and we put it between us and others. And every now and then we peek our heads out. But for the most part, what do we do? We hide because we can't let anyone see the real me. We can't let anyone see. We can't risk it that if we come out of hiding, what if, what if they don't accept me? What if they don't? So we just, we build a wall and we put distance and we only show them the things that we want to show them. Why? Because we believe, we're afraid that in and of itself we, we're not worthy because of the the mistakes we've made, because of the sin in our past, because of the things people have done to us, we just believe we're not, we're not worthy We're not enough. And so what do we do in every relationship in our lives? We build a wall, and we keep people at an arm's distance. But there's another reason. There's two reasons that we do this. The first is because we don't feel like we'll be accepted as is. But the second is we don't want to get hurt again. Because we remember. We remember. I was vulnerable, and I put myself out there, man, and I got hurt. I got got abused. I got left. I got abandoned, and and we remember, and man, I'm not making light of those things in your life at all. Each of us can point to the past and point to real hurt, real brokenness, but without realizing it, what we can do is we can build these walls and we can say, man, I can't do that again. I can't go through that again. I can't allow that to happen to me again. And so what do we do? We we build the wall. We build the barrier, and we hide behind it to make sure that we don't get hurt again. And honestly, I get it. (laughs) I get it, man. I've lived this way. I've even at times in ministry been a pastor that lives this way. I just show people the side that I want them to see. I grew up wanting to please people and when you want to please people, this is how you live because you just want to show them the parts of you that's acceptable, the parts of them that they will love, because you don't believe that you are worthy of love as you are. You just show them the places and the, the, the things that they will, even your parents, even in your relationships at church and at school, you just show them the parts of you that you want them to see so that they will accept you, so that you will feel loved. And the problem with this, even if, even if we could say, oh, that well, that's reasonable, I understand the problem is it's not biblical. Turn with me, 2 Corinthians 12. I've said everything I've said to get us there, to help us understand in the face of shame, in the face of where we build our barrier to keep people out. Paul is going to talk here in verse 7, and what he's going to talk about is, he's going to the first six verses before this, he's going to talk about all the good things, the revelations of God, and the thing, all the reasons that he could brag, all the reasons that he could feel really good about himself. But now, in verse 7, he says this, Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Verse 9, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, and my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, that is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insult, in hardship, in persecution, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. <laughs> Notice in verse 9, when Jesus says, the voice of the Lord says to him that that tense The verb tense there is really important. And I'm not going to bore you with all the details here because we're not in grammar class, but it's in the perfect tense. And why that's important is because this is not something that the Spirit of the Lord said once. And he said back then. No, no, no. The perfect tense means he said it and is continuing to say it. So it's as if Paul hears the voice of the Lord saying, he said to me and continues to say to me, my grace is sufficient. No matter what will come, my grace is sufficient. No matter what other hurts you experience, my grace is sufficient. It's not just a past tense thing. It's not just that one time that you needed it. He says and continues to say that my grace is sufficient for you. And so Paul, I mean, talk about a different way to live where we would often hide, where we face hardship and difficulty and insult and persecution and brokenness and distru- all those things, we hide. But Paul says, no, 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 no. I delight in those things. What? <laughs> what? That's crazy talk. That's crazy talk. That is, not, that, that is that's not reasonable. And that's why in this series, time and time again, we've talked about the difference between the mind of Christ In my mind, human mind, the human mind says, I'm hurt, run and hide. I've risked it before, and it's not worth it. Run and hide. But the mind of Christ says that, man, I delight in weakness. I delight when I am not enough, man. It is okay. Why? Because God's power is at its best when my power is at its worst. Think about that for a minute. God's power, this is what Paul is saying, God's power is at its best when my power is at its worst. Only the mind of Christ can help us get there. Only through his spirit can he help us see that even in our weakness, he's strong. You see, a a response to shame, a godly response to shame is not hiding. It's not putting on the mask. It's not building the wall, the barrier, only letting people see what you want them to see. That's not the godly response to shame fact the godly response to shame is this word vulnerability I've got it on the screen I want to define it what am I talking about to you when I talk about being vulnerable because there's some of us in the room that start sweating really hard when we hear that word (laughs) but I want you to understand biblically what we're talking about when we say that word vulnerability this is what we're saying we're talking about the courage the courage to let go of who you think you should be that's what this is right we show people who we think we should be for them Show them the parts of me that you should want to be, that we should. That's the should stuff, right? We're not doing that. The courage to let go of who you think you should be in order, what? To be who you are. And in that, to understand deeply that you are loved and accepted by God. Vulnerability. Uh, Just a few chapters before, we won't go there now, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul is addressing this church in Corinth and he commends them. He says, we've opened wide our hearts to you. Will you not open wide your hearts to us? And perhaps one of the best definitions of godly vulnerability is a heart that's open wide. When we hide, when we put on the mask, when we build the barrier, man, that's a a heart that's closed off. That's a heart that's pushing others away. But we are called in the face of shame, even in the face of, Paul says, in hardship, in difficulty, we are called not to run and hide, but no, 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 to, to step out with, with hearts that are open to be vulnerable. We've seen throughout scripture, we've seen the people of God, the people that God uses, he uses in their biggest moment of vulnerability. Uh, think about this. Think about Jacob in Genesis uh, 32. He wrestles with God. Man, that's an image, right? Like, I can't even wrestle with my 10-year-old anymore. He beats me up. How in the world am I going to wrestle with God? And, and literally in Genesis 32, it says Jacob walks away with a limp. For the rest of his life, he limps. Hey, why are you limping? Well, God beat me up. the you know, I don't know. How do, you, how do you cover that? I don't know. But for the rest of his life, he lived vulnerable. But yet this is the man <laughs> This is the man that out of him came the 12 tribes of Israel. God used him in his moment of vulnerability. What about Moses? Moses didn't just have one moment of being vulnerable, right? But in Exodus 4, we see that God asks him to lead the people of God, even though he can't speak right. He stutters in his moment of vulnerability. God's like, yeah, that's that's who I want. What about David? David. In Psalm 51, it might be the greatest passage to show what a a vulnerable heart, in the midst of brokenness, in the midst of disobedience, he was the king, and God had done miracles through his life, and he blew it. And he committed murder. I mean, you talk about being vulnerable. In Psalm 51, he just lays himself bare before the Lord. He opened wide his heart. He holds nothing back. He doesn't run in his shame and hide. No, 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 no. Oh, he just, he lets it all out before the Lord, and God blesses. David's life. And through David is the lineage where we find Jesus. (laughs) What about Peter? He denies Jesus. (laughs) He denies. I didn't even know him. He he spits curses at those as Jesus is being led to the cross. Peter, his his best friend, his right-hand man, denies even knowing him. And yet, just weeks later, Peter stands and preaches to thousands as the church is born in their greatest need, in their greatest moment of being vulnerable, of messing up at the point where they could risk it all, and it's the turning point of saying, man, I could let that thing define me, or I could let the power of God be greatest when I'm at my weakest. God uses throughout Scripture men and women in their moments of greatest vulnerability. Today I just have two... Two ways I think we can respond. I want to challenge you. This is not just a suggestion. I I really, I I really want to challenge you in any way that I can in two very practical ways. The first today, I want to challenge you to be vulnerable with God. If I were honest, if I were to gauge where we are as a church, and I can't do that because I don't know your life, but if I were to gauge just based on who we are and how good are we at being vulnerable with God, I would give us like a C probably. (laughs) Because I think even in a room like this, where we've come, and, and look, if you're here this morning, there's a thousand other things you could have been doing, and I know that. I'm so glad you're here. And, but I think sometimes we come into the room, and it, we come in, even at church, even before God, even as we're singing, we've got our guard up. We're, we're, we think we can like hide from God, like in the garden, Adam and Eve, hiding from God, like, like you weren't going to find them, right? But that's what we do. And we, maybe we don't admit it, maybe we don't realize it, but we would come in week after week and we would have the mask on and and be guarded and only show people and and only believe even in our relationship with God that why? Because we believe that if we were really vulnerable with him, maybe he wouldn't love us for who we are. So isn't it interesting that the moment sin entered into the world, Adam and Eve's response is the same response that we often have in our relationship with God. We, We hide. We run. The other direction. We do whatever we can to fill our lives with as much stuff and with as much noise so we don't have to listen or be confronted with God because we can't open up our hearts to Him. Why? We're, we're ashamed, so, so we hold back. But here's the truth. When we can't be vulnerable with God, then it puts a, a lid. It puts a, We can't be used for His glory. Some of you in here are so frustrated because you're praying and God is not answering you. Some of you, you're so frustrated because you feel like God isn't speaking to you and you just feel like you're and I would just ask you today have you opened wide your heart to him or are you holding back are you pushing him away or are there times where times you'll you'll sneak out from behind the barrier oh no, no no this is too scary and so what do we do we build the wall we build the barrier we hide even from the presence of God even the God who knows the hairs on your head we hide we run. I feel like we're not worthy. I was thinking of this example with my kids because it's just a lens that I see a lot through as a father. You know, one of the most frustrating things for me as a parent is, and you got different kids, right? you got some kids that you know exactly what's wrong because they tell you, and they tell you more than you want to know, right? In that moment, and you're like, oh, okay. But then you've got your kids that it's just, you know something is wrong and they will not tell you what. And there's nothing more frustrating for me as a father in my desire to love my kids and comfort them and wrap them. But when I can tell something is wrong, what's wrong? Nothing, nothing. Well, you just punched your brother in the face. So I know there's something wrong. no, I'm good, I'm good, Right, right? Like nothing hurts my heart more as a father when I just want to run to them and I want to wrap them in my love, but they won't let me in. They push me away and I have to pull and prod, and prod and some of us in the room, and I think that's what God is like with you. He is desperately, his prevenient grace is desperately coming after you saying, Oh, won't you open up your heart to me? Won't you let me in? Won't you knock this down and just let us be real before? You? And you'd keep him at a distance. There's a reason in the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus said, Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted, because oftentimes it's when we mourn, when we come out of hiding, and we just let ourselves be broken before the Lord, that he, as our Heavenly Father, can come scoop us up in his arms, and he can embrace us as he truly wants to. Do I love my kids any less when they push me away? No, but in that moment where they can be vulnerable with me, man, I can can truly embrace them. They can truly experience the depth of my love, and some of us in here, we can't truly experience the depth of God's love for us because we're hiding today. Would you, would you be vulnerable with him? For some of us, that, that's a game changer. It could change everything in your life today with that one decision. Next, you see where this is going, but I, I challenge you today. Be vulnerable with God and be vulnerable with others. Brene Brown, who's a a well-known speaker and author and researcher, and she spent much of her career researching this idea of shame. And she has this, she calls this process here about being guarded, she calls it that we armor up. And she says in our relationship with others because of shame, because of the fear that we're not enough, the belief that we aren't good enough, what we do oftentimes in our relationships with others is we armor up. And so what that does is when we armor up, when we pretend, when we put on the mask, when we build the barrier, what that does in each and every one of our relationships is it prevents us from experiencing love, from experiencing belonging and joy and trust and intimacy in every single one of our relationships. And what she said in her years of research and studying hundreds and hundreds of people who deal with this idea of shame, who are paralyzed by this idea of shame in their life, time and time again what she realized is the people that were able to step outside of their shame, they embraced vulnerability. And, and one thing that she said, I thought this was interesting, they said each and every one of them said it wasn't comfortable, it wasn't comfortable to be vulnerable with others, but it was necessary. In order to experience the belonging, and the joy, and the trust, and the intimacy in their relationships, they had to be vulnerable. Even when it wasn't comfortable, it was necessary. There are some of us in this room today that your relationships with your spouse, with your family, with your friends, with the people who love you the most, your relationship looks like this. You only show them a little bit you only let them out. You might peek out from above the wall every now and then to wave a little bit, but you are guarded. And today, I would challenge you and encourage you to open up your heart. Now, not everybody is worthy of knowing your stuff. That's fine. I'm not saying you need to be intimate with the 7-Eleven cashier. I'm not saying that. But some of us in this room, our lives right now, our lives are being destroyed by our own lack of vulnerability with the people in our lives. Some of you in here, you are hurting, and there are people that want to show up for you, but you won't let them. You won't invite them in. Some of you, man, in our, in our marriages, and in our families, they are so broken, and maybe it's not all your fault, but maybe the best thing you could do today is say, man, it's time for me to come out of hiding, to open up my heart. I can't control how they're going to respond, I can't own, but I can take ownership and say, today, I'm going to be vulnerable. I'm going to be vulnerable with God. I'm going to be vulnerable with others. Today, I I want to speak directly to every person in the room. That's hard to do, but I'm going to try in just a minute. As we prepare to close, and we're going to close this morning around the table of communion, remembering our Lord's sacrifice for us. That's only appropriate as we talk about this idea of being vulnerable with God and vulnerable with others. Because whether you realize it or not, We serve a God who was so vulnerable with us. Think about this. God could have created any way to save you from your sin. But what did he do? He sent his son. That cost him everything. And he sent his son not just to go on a parade and preach and say, now you're saved. No, no, no. He sent his son to suffer and die. He held nothing back from you. That's the God who we proclaim today. But this morning I want to speak to middle school and high school students. You're in the room today, and I am so glad that you're here. <laughs> I love, I love being in a church where we have students in the room. And could I just tell you something today, students? I'm old now, you know, and I, I don't remember quite as well as I used to. But but I can't imagine how hard it is to be a teenager today in the world in which we live. Can I challenge you today, students, to live your life not like this? There's a world around you that preaches this is the way to live, whether it's through social media or only show them the parts that they will love. Only show them the parts. Don't let others in. And I'm just telling you today, man, the life that God will bless is a life where we can be vulnerable with God and we can let others in because you're worthy. College students, man, I love that you're here. and Talk about a time in your life where you're trying to figure out who you are and who God is, if I could encourage you, if I could challenge you, if I could go back to 20, 21-year-old me and tell him one thing, I would say, Adrian, man, you don't have to hide from God. You are dearly loved. You are worthy. You don't feel like it. You look at the hurt in your past, and you don't feel like it, but I'm here to tell you, Adrian, you know, the rest of your journey ahead, if you will just learn to be vulnerable with God, he'll guide you, he'll direct you, he'll show you the plans for your life. College students, I want you to know that today. Men, man, if there was ever a message we wish we could sit out, it was this one, right? We're not always good at being vulnerable. That's hard for us. And today, I know I'm speaking into a lot of pain some of the men in your eyes today. I, I know that. I know I'm asking you to do something today that seems impossible on your own strength, but I'm not asking you today to do it in your strength. I'm asking the Holy Spirit to come, to give you the mind of Christ, to give you the power to be vulnerable, even when it's hard. Even when as men, we want to play it safe. We want to hold our cards. And I know that's not just for men, but I'm just speaking to men for a minute because I understand today. But would you come out of hiding? Women today? (laughs) Man, I don't know what it's like to be you, for sure. But don't we live in a world where we compare all the time, where we have to live up to the standard of other women in our lives or other standards that we think are set for us? And I just want to encourage you women of God to open up your hearts wide to God today to let other women in, to walk with you. Man, we need each other. We don't need to be pushing others away. You need godly women in your life to come around you and love you. Parents, can I just tell you, I'm messing it up, man. I'm not great at it, but can I just tell you, in my parenting, what I need is to be vulnerable with God and learn even to be vulnerable with my kids sometimes, that they can see in me not a perfect father but a father that is trusting God, that is opening up his heart wide to be vulnerable to others. I know there's others in the room today. Grandparents, neighbors, coworkers, friends. Today, I want to invite you to be vulnerable. Vulnerable with God and vulnerable with one another. Thank you again so much for listening today. Email us at info at for any questions about our church. We have two gatherings every Sunday morning at 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. and a third gathering at 11.45 in Spanish. Celebrate Recovery also meets here each and every Monday night at 6 p.m. We're at 1871 Boyers Road in Rockingham, Virginia, and we would love for you to join us. As soon as you're finished listening today, please subscribe to this channel for updates and new episodes.